0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to The Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. I'm Bala Musitz.
1: And I'm Mike Wasserman.
0: Today, we're excited to be joined by David J. He is the founder and CEO of Warm Welcome. This is a company that uses video to customize an initial customer experience to go beyond generic emails. David is a serial entrepreneur, having also founded Agree.com.
1: Bela, this sounds great. I mean, you, love, you know that I love technology and things like video and customization and creating value for customers are all things that kind of get the hair in the back of my neck standing up. So let's jump right into the interview.
0: Hello, listeners. Today, I'm with David J, who is the founder and CEO of Warm Welcome. Warm Welcome helps businesses upgrade from the boring text to how they typically interact with uh, their customers to personal videos so that they can have meaningful relationships that hopefully drive real revenue welcome to the show david thank you it's
2: great to be here
0: yeah so uh tell us a little bit about where the the idea for this came from you know were you in the shower one day and you said eureka (laughs) or how did how did that evolve (laughs) no it didn't come from the shower although a lot of good ideas
2: do um I was actually building some other uh, video technology to auto create slideshows and videos and things like that. And a friend of mine, Eric Knopf, uh, came by and he has a company called WebConnects. And he saw that technology and said, gosh, I'd love to use that as a way to send personal videos to every single one of our customers. You know, as they sign up, I want to greet them, welcome them walk them around the office, show them their account manager, and have a really personal first experience with these people, similar to what you'd have in a store. But I want to be able to do that for my, my SaaS company.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so what, what you're really talking about here is sort of having a much richer engagement with the customer, right? Sort of moving from sending them an email that says, welcome to my company, as a customer to sending them a video uh about the business. Did I get that right? Right? Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, when we see someone's face and we see their smile and they say our name and they greet us like a human being instead of, you know, a robot, uh it changes everything. And, you know, our customers want to have relationships with us just the same way as, you know, I think a lot of businesses want to have relationships with their customers. It makes uh, it makes business, it makes life uh, richer, like you said, uh, when there's a relationship connected to it, and not simply revenue.
0: Yeah. So as I, you know, if I think about myself as a business owner, uh, and and let's say you knock on my door and say, "Hey, Bela, I'd like to introduce you to this uh, new technology." Uh, you know, it's Warm Welcome is the name of our company. Take me through sort of, you know, the five minute conversation we would have about the business and why it's important to me to, to have this in in my, in my business. Sure. Well, uh, the, the first thing that any business needs to do is build trust.
2: You know, they might have a prospect or a lead, uh, but the lead needs to trust the salesperson or the business owner, um, trust that they're going to kind of fulfill the promise of uh, whatever it is that they're selling. And one of the main things that we've used to build trust Uh, over, you know, really forever is uh, looking in people's eyes, right? When we can look in each other's eyes, we can determine for ourselves whether or not the person across from us is telling the truth, whether they're a safe person, whether they're someone that we want to interact with or have a relationship with. When you take that out of the equation, you're really hamstrung, right? You're disadvantaged uh, because you lose that ability to build trust quickly right everyone can write a nice email everyone can get a fake written testimonial for their business but when you have something on video it changes everything and so you know nowadays especially uh people are 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 looking for ways to stand out almost every market seems crowded now and, uh, and so simply by switching from sending all these text emails or putting text and graphics on your website, switching all that to video, personal video especially, um, immediately separates you from probably most of the people in your market.
0: Yeah. So I've been around long enough to sort of remember uh, in, in the old days when you, when you sent a correspondence to uh, a customer, whether it be you know, welcome or informing them about a sale or something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. You had had to enter their name into the software uh, for each letter. And then someone figured out, well, we could make that a variable and then we can read it off the database. And uh, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, typing one letter was as easy as typing a thousand letters. So are we there with the video technology that we can have that same type of uh, ability? Or do I need to make, you know, a thousand different videos, if you will, to sort of welcome my customers?
2: Sure. Yeah. So there's there's things that that we can automate. There's um, lots you can do with video nowadays to uh, to make it very efficient. Uh, And and so there's two ways to personalize things. One is to personalize every message that you send. And we certainly do that for all of our new customers You know, we grab a a whiteboard or piece of paper. We write their name on it. We show them like, hey, we're genuinely talking to you. We're not faking anything here. And they appreciate that. Um, The other way to personalize something is by changing the medium that you're delivering the content in um, to be a more personal medium, even if you're sending out a mass, you know, broadcast email. So, for example, like you brought up, if you're sending an email to a thousand people, Well, that's okay. And that's good. If it's all text and graphics and there's nothing personal in it, there's no human behind it. There's no face for them to interact with. It's less personal. It's going to build less trust. It's not going to be as an effective of an email campaign campaign. So you can personalize things individually and you can make things more personal, uh, and still do broadcast messaging.
0: Yeah. Very nice. And, um, So if we were to, uh, if I said, okay, great, I'm sold. I'd like to sign up for this sort of take me through the process that, that we would, we would undertake. Yeah. So
2: we want to personalize every touch point of the customer experience. And we, you know, we started with video email. There's a lot of video email providers out there nowadays, but the problem is if you just do video email and some of your communication comes in that way, and then you know, you have, you still have some of these older, um, types of communication, um, technologies, then it's, it's convoluted for the customer. And so we wanted to create something where, um, no matter what way they're engaging with you, whether it's through your website, even through a video business card, through your email signature, through a video email, no matter, you know, where they're at in the customer journey, they're going to interact with you in the same personal way. And so, we encourage people to start with a video business card, and you can make one of those for free. Uh, they're wonderful because you can update them, right? If you get a new position or you change something about your business, uh, you can just go in, type something, update it, and you're done. If you have you know, paper business cards and something changes, you got to order new ones or get new designs. And, uh, and we all know that most business cards just end up in the trash. But a video business card can be shared around. It can be multiplied. You know, you can give it to one person and they can send it on to 10 other people and and refer you that way. Um, But yeah, we encourage people to start there and then kind of go down the road. Add a video bubble to your website. Almost every business over the course of the last year has had to transition to selling online. Well, they've transitioned to selling online or offering something for sale online, but they haven't improved the experience of buying something online, right? And the, the great example here is Apple. Imagine for a minute that you were to walk into an Apple store and there was nobody there. It was just the products, right? You'd have a much different experience than uh, when you walk in the front door. The first thing that you see is somebody there welcoming you giving you a warm welcome, they actually call it that, and you know, offering to help. That's what they do. They have, they have someone greeting you there, a human. Well, every website should have the same thing. They should have somebody waving, smiling, saying, hey, I'm here to help, I'm not going to bother you, but if there's anything that I can help with, just let me know. Uh, and fact of the matter is most websites don't. Most websites are beautifully designed and they have all this carefully crafted text but there's no people and the people are what build the trust. So that's what we're trying to do is bring people and humans back into the equation here. Cause, um, that's really the, the differentiator that people should take advantage of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, tech, uh, uh, websites are starting to, uh, incorporate the ability to text message some live person someplace and ask a question about a product or a service or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so what you're talking about is sort of taking this to the next level so that I would actually engage, uh, on a video call or, or, or a Skype call or whatever with that person. Is that, is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have both, um, live video. So, you know, you've got those little chat bots and things like that that people put on their website, um, and and we can do that. You can send text back and forth if that's what you prefer. But there's a lot of situations where video is much better and even more efficient. Oh, way more
0: efficient. And, yeah, yeah, way more yeah. efficient. I'm not a fast typer, so I, I hate those little text boxes. Yeah, everyone's starting to hate those. These chatbots, it's like they're not that
2: helpful. Like, just give me a person. And trying to explain a lot of products or services with text just doesn't do it. When I can click on a video or even just send you a recorded video back and show you the product, show you you know the answer to your question. It's better for everybody. There's not so much back and forth. You can solve things right there on the spot.
0: Yeah. So does your service? Uh, I have the option of texting, doing just audio, or doing a combined video audio.
2: Yeah, that's right. Any of the the three.
0: Oh wow! Very nice. And uh, so, is there like a a sweet spot for a company who who should use this? In other words, is it you know a large company, a small company, consumer products? Is, is there is there you know a, a place where people should or is is there a sector? Let me try to ask the question more succinctly: Is there a sector where this is taking off, where people are really adopt are really adopting it? Yeah, it's. It's going across just about
2: everything. You know, I, I think we're on to a much bigger shift in the way humans communicate, and it's not been you know just spurred from COVID and everyone working from home. It's it's much bigger than that, right? Six hundred years ago, the printing press came out, and ever since then, we've been obsessed with written communication because it was one of the first and only things in the world that scaled. And we're you know a culture obsessed with things that scale well in the last 20 years you have the internet and speeds getting faster nowadays you have every single person carrying around a video camera with them all the time and so um, what we're finding is that communicating through video is just a much better way for humans to communicate than communicating through text you know we treat each other better Uh, there's more nuance there's more understanding Uh, you know with text people tend to read it in kind of an angry state. They tend to write more aggressively than they would speak, you know, and we've all seen that on Facebook and Twitter, which have just turned into these, you know, more or less fights. Like it's just this public brawl where everyone's angry at everybody. And when you switch it to video, people can disagree, but still um, be civil. And uh, and so it's going to move through every, through every type of business, you know, small businesses are adopting it because they can adopt it quickly, but sales teams, marketing teams, all the way down to leaders of companies using this as a way to cast vision through their company. It's a much better way to cast vision and set the track than to send out a, you know, email that people are probably not even going to read.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm thinking about this in in terms of um, it it takes it takes some. Well, first of all, one I think one of the nice things about the video messaging back and forth is that when you see somebody, there's a little more accountability, right? There's more mm-hmm. civility, just as you were saying. It's not as anonymous as sort of Twitter is, even though yeah. your coded name may be there, but it's still pretty anonymous. So we have more accountability. I think we do tend to be civil, and that's certainly a great direction to be moving in. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think part of the challenge, at least I think about it, is it takes some skill to be able to communicate succinctly in a video because in, when I'm typing an email, you know, sometimes I type a sentence five times before I get it to where I want it. Doing a video is a little bit more challenging to do that efficiently and effectively. Um, how do you address that? Yeah, it's, um, it's
2: something that, you know, we're, we're certainly having to learn, uh, but it isn't, uh, it's, it's a change in really how people, um, how people believe something's authentic and something's real,
0: Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Good point.
2: Where, where, Where we used to think like, oh, this is perfect and polished. I trust that nowadays we don't trust things that are too perfect and too polished, you know. We trust things that are that are more personal, that are more real, that are more genuine. And so, the little errors uh, in our communication or stutters, things like that, are actual advantages. Yeah. And they're they're finding this in music. Uh, I was on a podcast just a week or two ago uh, from a guy who. He teaches music and he publishes music, and he's in you know some some big band. Uh, but he said that now with auto tuning and all these professional tools, they can do a recording and make it sound perfect. They can even do that while they're out on on tour. But what they're finding is that the people actually don't like that. they want the the authenticity. they want the realness mm-hmm. that comes from Um, a genuine performance and so uh, it's the same thing with our communication you know if you're sitting down at a coffee shop talking to somebody about your product or service it, it would feel weird if you just had all these talking points and you just delivered this script right and so the more we can transition uh away from the perfect polished overly produced video and move towards a personal video um I think I think the better for business, the better for relationships. Uh, the more we can just be ourselves and uh, focus on on helping our clients.
0: Yeah, excellent point. So I, I guess I don't I shouldn't feel as so bad about my stumbling over words and stuff. <laughs> no, not at all. No, it's... yeah. So how long? Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the business. How long has uh, Warm Welcome been around? When did you guys start it?
2: So it was started as kind of just a test side project. Um, one of my other companies. That I started in 2014 uh, it's called agree.com took about a million dollars to build that product and now you know or five five years later in 2019 I wanted to see how quickly and efficiently I could build an MVP and get it to market not a complete product not a finished product but something that I could get feedback on and um, we did it in one month and ten thousand dollars and that's the difference it just five years makes in technology. Things are getting so much cheaper, so much more efficient, so much quicker to, to produce. And, uh, and so that's when it started in 2019. We got an MVP up. We started to explore. We started to get feedback on it. That's super important. And then from that feedback, we started to round it out into the complete product um, that is not at all finished. We have a lot more we're going to develop but is um, suitable for the market to to adopt it.
0: Yeah, and by MVP you mean minimum viable product.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, excellent concept. Uh, one that I'm a big believer in for sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, did you guys raise capital for this, or are you self funded? Self
2: funded. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I've never I've never raised money. Um, we were considering it. It's a really hot space right now. And, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of iterations and people doing different, um, pieces of it. Similarly to the written, um, written word, right? Like we've got little notebooks like this. We have leather bound notebooks. We have text messages. We have a million different varieties of consuming or delivering the written word. We're going to have the same with video. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, 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 may raise money, um, but right now it's all organic and, uh, you know, we're, we're still young and kind of figuring things out, but, um, you know, maybe later this year, early next year, we'll, we'll do that.
0: Yeah. Very good. So let, let's take a step back to, uh, David, David as a, uh, young lad, uh, where, where, where did you grow up? Uh, were you entrepreneurial when you were young, where'd you go to school? Uh, give me a little bit more kind of background, if you will. Yeah, I grew up um, just in
2: the suburbs of Phoenix, uh, Chandler, Arizona. Uh, Enjoyed playing soccer. Um, But yeah, it was was definitely entrepreneurial. Some of the kind of funny stories, uh, when I was in grade school, uh, I was sitting there in class one day, and um, our school would kind of let students go around and sell candy bars, and it would raise money for the PTA or something. And they were, you know, $2 per candy bar. And it was... In my opinion, the candy bars sucked. Like they were this dark chocolate. Like no kids like this stuff, but the kids are all going around selling it. So I would go down to the supermarket every Friday because they would have a deal where you get four candy bars for a dollar. And I'd buy four packs of king size Reese's pieces. So I got, I essentially got 16 Reese's peanut butter cups, you know, four king size bars for a dollar. And then I'd sell them for a buck a piece. So I'd sell them for half price of what these other, you know, crappy school candy bars were. And, uh, and for me, it was, you know, a dollar I was getting those things for a quarter. So it was pretty good money. Um, but it only lasted for a couple of weeks. School shut me down. You know, they, I was cutting into their, uh, into their, <laughs> their profits. Right. So right. They wanted a they, monopoly, right? They wanted yeah, a monopoly. <laughs> exactly. Typical government run stuff, yes. right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, so did you go to university and, uh, uh, yeah, I did. I went to Westmont college in
2: Santa Barbara, um, went there for three and a half years, dropped out and started, uh, started working. I didn't, didn't graduate.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, but I started building, building companies actually while I was there. And that's what, uh, I think so important for students nowadays is, you know, if you're even going to go to college, go and start a company on day one because you give yourself such a huge advantage. You know, typically your college years, you know, you're maybe borrowing some money or, or whatnot. Ho- hopefully you're not, actually. Right. Um, I, I think that's a terrible thing these days is kids coming out of school with tons of debt. But if you do go to school, start a business, start working, um, right away. You know, I went to, I was going to school and, uh, I was playing soccer. So my time was really limited, but, um, instead of going out and partying every night, you know, I just maybe party one night a week and I'd work the other night. I'd yeah. stay up doing, doing something, building something.
0: Sure. So when, when you left college, did you, uh, go work for somebody else or, or did you have your own business that you were running? Um,
2: I, I really couldn't go work for somebody else, you know, without a degree at that mm. time, it, it was still, you know, it was 20 years ago, it was still very heavily weighted towards people with degrees. And, uh, and so I could have went out and got a job at a coffee shop or something like that. But, um, no, I started a photography business and a video business. And then that grew into building online communities. And through those communities is where I started, um, you know, selling software into those, and uh, had some had a business partner at the time, and he'd create the software. I do the sales and marketing through online communities, and uh, anyway, we we split and part of ways, and now um, I can kind of do the do the whole thing with a fractional group. So our company's all it's all fractional. People are working remote. We've been doing that for years, um, but uh, but yeah. They can move around onto different projects. And uh, it's a really, it's just a really free way to, to, to live and work.
0: Yeah. It's, it's amazing how sort of the, the work environment is changing. And, and I think, you know, this experience with COVID sort of has accelerated certain aspects of that. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it'll never be the same. I think, I think the, the working environment for people um, is, is changed forever. And in many ways, I think uh, in a good way. You're right, I think it's I think it's pretty pretty neat, yeah, of what's going yeah, on yeah, there's definitely
2: some some good things about it. you know, I think long term we we need to get back around people. you know I, I believe people need people. we when we're around people in living in a relationship, it's better. And in the us, especially business has been the main driver for that right for people to interact with that's one right. another
0: that's right and
2: yeah. uh, and so if business isn't going to be that driver we need to have something else that's pulling people you know into into relationship with one another yeah
0: yeah and and i think this ability to have a a richer engagement whether it be in business or whether it be at a at a you know friends level uh, and mm-hmm. and and in many ways you know 30 40 years ago your circle of friends was fundamentally limited by distance. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's no longer true. Mm-hmm. It, so all of a sudden, the world, the world has gotten flatter and, and, yeah. and that, for many aspects, and this ability to have meaningful relationships and engagements with people on the other side of the world, which was much more challenging and difficult uh, 20 years ago. So uh, And yeah. I think what you're developing here really plays into that, whether it be used you know, for businesses, for holding on to customers, but this same type of rich environment is important in many aspects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. So uh, let me ask you one last question, then we'll wrap this up. Um, What's next? If you look into your crystal ball, you know, and and I'm not talking about 10 years from now, but, you know, in the next two years, how do you see this kind of evolving? Yeah, well, right now,
2: for me personally, we're in the process of moving from Oregon to Florida. And, uh, and so that's a big move, you know, about as far as you can go in the U S. Um, and, uh, and so that's big. I have two young boys. So, um, the next, you know, few years for me is going to be largely devoted to, um, creating things in, in the physical world. Like maybe we flip a ranch or we build a, you know, some sort of community center or something like that that uh, that we can kind of have as a business. But I can do with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in in tech for 20 years, and um, you know, it's tough to bring a two-year-old or a four-year-old, you know, into a podcast or a, a meeting, a Zoom meeting. But you can go and build something with them and teach them the value of work and teach them, you know, that that work is a wonderful gift that we get to do. We don't have to do it; we get to do it. And, uh, you know, I think there's a a generation out there now, you know, that is largely lived in a very affluent society and doesn't quite have the, the skills needed to, to go out and, and really want to work and value work. And we're seeing the kind of repercussions of that. And so I want to make sure that my, my boys, um, value that and, you know, know that they're going to work hard, you know, their entire life. And that's a, a great thing that they get to do. But I, I, I've got to be able to model that for them um, by not just sitting in an office, but by doing work with them.
0: Yeah, very nice. Well said. Well said. So, David, uh, you've been a great guest. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, this is fascinating. And I think you're really on the forefront of uh, our what's coming in the future, right? This ability to, to communicate uh, across platforms in a very rich way, uh, almost mm. like being there, and and mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much for being on the show.
2: Thanks, Bella. Appreciate it.
0: Bella,
1: great interview. I mean, what an interesting story and an interesting business and kind of a cool example of a serial entrepreneur that's done things in a really unique way. Uh, what struck you most about your conversation with David?
0: Yeah, there was a couple things that that really hit home with me. Uh, one is this notion that I think sometimes businesses forget, and that's their customers, and customers are key. And as you and I have said many times, uh, it costs a lot less money to keep an existing customer than it does to acquire to acquire a new customer. And I think sometimes businesses lose sight of that. They get so enamored with finding new customers, they tend to ignore their existing customers. And I think so. So that's that's sort of one thing that I think is is a fundamental uh, concept that we need to make sure we're focused on. I think the other thing that is important here is particularly given with COVID, I think COVID has really sort of uh, amplified this challenge. And that is it's getting more and more difficult to interact with customers Uh, as we do more and more sales over the Web and online sales as restaurants do more takeout business, uh, all of our interactions that are traditional, where the customer walks into your retail store and you engage with the customer, the customer walks into your restaurant and you engage with the customer, uh, that is shifting. uh, And there's less of that and there's more non-personal interactions. It's more Um, transaction-based. That's just sort of what's going on. And I think the COVID uh, thing has really amplified that. So how do you now engage with customers? How do you build that relationship? And if you think about it, video these days is everywhere. You know, I mean, people are making videos all the time. You see them on Facebook. They're interacting with their friends via videos. So why not have businesses interact the same way? So those were the three things that sort of resonated with me. Uh, and how about you, Mike? What, what sort of, what sort of uh, struck you?
1: Agreed. You know, and your point about building customer relationships and having that accelerated by COVID uh, is true, but this is a problem that existed pre-COVID, that is more and more of attention goes to digital and online. Um, the face-to-face interactions that we used to have even before COVID were shrinking, right? Less and less. We we're doing more e-commerce, more mobile commerce, uh, learning online, all of these things. Th- this accelerated during covid but these problems are beyond or way before covid and they're going to go on way after covid so i think it's just an accelerator like you said and i think that's a really important point um that said the fact that these problems existed these gaps um i think there's really a need for creative solutions on how to connect companies with their customers and i'm not sure this is exactly the right way to do it i'm not that smart um, but I love the idea that they're trying. And it was one of these ideas is going to work. I mean, kind of an interesting side note. Um, Sandy and I uh, ordered some wine for uh, for some of our friends, Lizzie and Alex, who got married over a year ago, and we were kind of late on the present. You know how that goes because of COVID, right? So we said, okay, let's just order something, right? We wanted to give them something in person when we went to visit them in their new home, blah, blah, blah. So we ordered them some wine, and the wine got delivered, and the next day... um. We both of us, they, both emails were on the email from the from the wine company. So we did. And, and the people who got the gift got a, a, a e- an email and said, we hope you got your order. Please let us know if there are any problems. And by the way, one of the winemakers who made this bottle that you ordered three of. Right. Um, wanted you to watch a video. And it wasn't personalized. Like they said, hello, Sandy. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Um but it was a winemaker said, hey, uh, thanks for ordering my wine. Um, so-and-so, I, I think they were uh, in Italy, and I was like, this is my our grapes. This is how we make wine. We just wanted to show you what we do and the care that we put into this wine and hope that you can get a sense when you taste the wine of this is where the wine came from. Really cool, right? I mean, if it would have been personalized, it would have been even cooler, right? But it was that idea that, okay, we don't just, we didn't just bottle, buy a bottle of wine and have it delivered. We made at least some at least a one-way connection with the people that made the wine. Okay. And I realized you might not want to do this with a pair of socks that you buy or something like that, or a bag of carrots. Right. But there are probably some things where this is a really good fit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you know, when you went to the corner store in the old days and you bought a bag of carrots, there was that personal touch. Right. Right. You talk to the grocer, you engage with them a little bit.
1: Or the wine store.
0: Yeah. Any of those. Right. Right. It's all about this engagement and interactions. And, and that's sort of what builds trust. That's sort of what builds that relationship. You got to figure out how to engage with the customer, how to get some interaction between you and your customers. And, yep. and, you know, I, I don't know about you, Mike, but for me, when I trust a business or a, a company, I'm a customer for life. And, and, and let me relate a story to you, right? So there's a, a, a local car dealer here. We've lived here in upstate New York now for 25 years. We moved here from California back to, back to the East coast from California. And I have bought, I think seven cars from this car dealership and my, the first car I bought, it was just like any other car dealership. I went in there, but there was something different about this car dealership. I don't know what it was. I, I, I never felt like I was getting ripped off. I, I may have been getting ripped off, <laughs> but I never felt that way. I shouldn't say ripped off. It's the wrong, it's the wrong terminology. I, 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 I may not have been getting the best deal, But I never, I always felt like I was getting a reasonable deal. I never felt hustled. I never felt sort of, well, you know, the the whole buying process of I got to go talk to the manager back and forth and dickering and all that stuff. I felt, I always felt good. And including service, the service manager did a great job. I always felt like I was well taken care of on a reasonable price. Recently, the, the owner of that car dealership sold the dealership. Somebody else bought it. And uh, this past November, that happened last summer, this past November went and bought a new car from the new dealership. The trust was gone, right? The, the experience was totally different. And now to me, it felt just like walking into, I don't want to generalize, but like most dealerships where it's about numbers, it's about hustling you through there. It's about, you know, here's our price. What What do I need to do to get you into this car today? <laughs> And, and, I, and it just a very different buying experience. Now, for some people, that may work great. But for me, I preferred that other type of an experience. And, and I think we have to figure out how do we build the relationships and the experiences that our customers want. Because certain types of, the way you build your business is sort of the, the, what you vibrate out is going to attract a certain type of customers. And think about the types of customers you want. Right? Are, do you want customers that are just interested in a transaction in and out really fast, really quick, boom, and you may or may not see them again, or are you interested in people who are 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 gonna be lifelong customers? And and I think that's that's different from business to business. And you as a business owner sort of need to decide. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. One is just better than the other for certain types of customers that you're gonna attract. Uh, so how do you see companies building trust, Mike?
1: Well, you know, as you kind of implied, trust is generally by definition built by having a pattern of repeated kind of experiences right over time that either the company served your needs or uh, the company, you felt like the company cared about you, um, The you got the product you wanted quickly, whatever it is on the dimension that, that was important to you, they met that and they met it over repeated times. And then you trust that no matter how many times you go in, no matter what happens, you've they'll come through for you. And even there's a lot of research that shows okay, if you have one bad experience but ten good experiences, a customer will be like, no problem, I understand. I'll come back. It was a bad day. Yeah. And that's the kind of resilience or stickiness that you want. Now that said, you made a really interesting point. And you know the word custom is part of customer for a reason. And that is what you said is exactly true. You know, I had kind of a front row seat into the auto retail business for a while in my life. And I can tell you that customers like you and I am the same way. We're like, okay, I don't want to have a – I don't necessarily need the lowest price, right? I want a fair price. I want to be treated really well, right? I want it to be easy, right? And if there's an issue, I want you to fix it quickly. And I'm not so concerned about saving a couple hundred bucks. Some people are, and I get it, right? And I and I understand right. that, and I learned right. that the hard way. I am not a typical customer, right? There are other people that – they'll drive an hour they'll spend $75 in, so some of the people they just don't have the money okay some people just want a good deal they'll drive an hour and spend $25 in gas to save $20 <laughs> right. right because right. it's kind of like the thrill of the chase i want to know that i got the best deal and i'm willing to actually invest a little bit to do that which to me is fascinating right and i don't i'm not saying that's good or bad i'm just saying there are different types of customers and i think successful businesses figure out can figure out quickly what type of person you are right and then meet those needs. So you have to be, to build trust. First, you have to know correctly what type of customer you are. What's going what's gonna to make you happy and keep you coming back? And then, so that's the first step in trust, right? Because that gives you the second opportunity, right? If you don't meet that threshold, there will never be a second opportunity. And then you have to remember that either using technology or in your own head, right? And provide that same experience again and again right? And only then can you build trust. So I really think it's a two part thing. It's the custom part, understanding what your needs are and deliver it, right? Even a a mass market retailer needs to kind of do that, right? They need to have certain brands that are low price, because I need to, I have a very tight budget, but they also need to have some higher end stuff, right? To meet Meet the needs of the people who want something a little nicer. So, even a Target or a Walmart, right, are actually kind of providing a range of experiences for different types of check of of customers. Even having an express checkout or self checkout. Some people love the self checkout, right? Some people hate it. They won't go anywhere near it. You got to have both, right? Right. Okay. Some people buy big carts overflowing full of stuff. You have regular lines. Some people are just going to come in and get three items. You need to have an express lane, right? So, you need to understand who your customers are and then adjust what you offer them in order to win their business the first time and then right doing it consistently is it so i love this idea of trust i think it's really important and you know at the end of the day it's so hard to build trust and so easy to lose it yeah like you said with your experience at the car dealer right one big change now if the dealer hadn't sold right and you went in and you had one bad experience right last time you probably would go back the next time thinking, okay, it's still the same ownership, right? It's just a blip. But the fact that you know that it changed hands, right? Right. And then you had the bad experience. They lost the trust.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. I'm not picking on car dealers, but you know, you, you, you go spend $30,000 or, or I, I can relate it to the, you know, the, the other part of my life where I have, I have a boat and I keep it at a marina. And between everything I do there, I probably spend uh, $12,000 a year there. Mm-hmm. And the marina I'm at, on a relative basis to other marinas, has good customer service. But in the absolute scale of, like, going to Disney World, <laughs> the customer service is awful, mm-hmm. right? I can go on a Disney—and we, we did when the kids were young. We went on a Disney World vacation, right? We spent twelve grand, and we felt like kings, Everything was like really well done. We felt really, you know, customer service was impeccable. And here I am spending $35,000 on a car and I feel like I'm getting hustled around or I'm spending $12,000 at the marina. And yeah, again, on the relative scale, other compared to other marinas, the customer service is pretty good, but compared in the absolute scale, it's, it's mediocre at best. Yeah, this was
1: the premise on which we started this business. My two co-founders and I was that look for most people, the car is the second largest expenditure yeah. that they'll they'll lay out in their life, right after their house. And for some people who rent a house, buying a car might be the single most uh, expensive purchase that they make, right? Why is everybody? Why does everybody hate going to the car dealer, right? That was our basic premise that people want better. And I'll tell you, we were wrong about a lot of that, Bela. And, I, you yeah. know, I can't tell you on how many points that you and I think, oh, it should be a great experience. And other people are like, no, I want the cheapest price, period. Right. <laughs> right. Right. You and I are not typical. But this is why there's these stratified brands, right? You go to a Lexus dealer or you go to a BMW dealer and you get it treated then when you go to a lower priced brand because the needs are different. One size yeah. doesn't fit all. Right. Yeah, and and true. that's that's kind of the thing that that's really important. So and I don't pretend to understand what different customers why customers want what they want, right? My job as a as a business owner or as a professor is to understand what people want and then help businesses respond to that, right? I, yeah. I don't I don't understand. I'm not a I'm not I'm married to a psychologist, but I'm not a psychologist, right? And what drives people to demand certain things in their relationships with with um, with businesses or with people for that matter is beyond my ability to comprehend. But what I can do is observe very carefully, and yeah. listen, and see. Yeah. And then say, okay, this is how you need to re- redefine this process so that you can offer this type of customer, this experience consistently. Yeah. Well, so I that's think kind that, of the, the goal, but let's, yeah. you know, we're getting sidetracked a little bit, but in, in an interesting path, um, one of the things that I really liked talking about uh, that I liked, uh, David, when he was talking about was his emphasis on MVPs, right? Minimum, vi- minimum viable product. Um, and he did it quickly and it really helped him and relating MVP with kind of this idea of giving people what they want. Why is an MVP so important?
0: Well, I, I think it's, again, it's the best way to test your product. Um, you know, the first uh, entrepreneurial business I started, we were venture backed, um, and we made, we made a drastic mistake. And, and, and I was part of that mistake in that we did we came out with the perfect product you know, a year and a half into the start of our business. And the first time we displayed that product to a customer was at a trade show. So the product was already designed. The brochures were already print- printed. And, and we got the product about 80% right. Unfortunately, that wasn't a percentage sufficient enough to have a successful business. So this, no- I'm a firm believer in this notion of, of getting a, a, a level of product out there Uh, interacting with your customers and getting feedback from customers, not just getting feedback from the product developers and the product developers, friends. Um, You have to get real customers to use your product and engage with you. And if you tell customers that this is a, 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 a beta product uh, and you're, you know, you want feedback from them and you, and you make that engagement genuine, they'll forgive all sorts of things. They'll, they'll be very tolerant of the product maybe not working perfectly uh, or beating their expectations. And it's actually a way to build that relationship that we're just talking about. So I, I'm, a, I'm a believer from it, from two perspectives. Number one, it's the best way to get feedback, which is directly from your customers, number one. And number two, it's a great way to start building those relationships with your customers and to really solidify those relationships as, as you move forward.
1: Love it. Couldn't agree more, Bela. Let's switch over to the idea of funding. Another thing that I think was really interesting um, in David's story was that he self-funded, right? Um, And we've talked about this kind of a lot, but he explained really nicely the pros and cons of self-funding. And it's a great model for becoming what we call a serial entrepreneur. Um, and, you know, you have this background and maybe you can tell a little bit about your story, but one business you learn, and I like I said this, you learn, but you also accumulate some capital, right? So now you've got some 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 money and some leverage and some knowledge. You've also built a network and that led to more entrepreneurial opportunities, right? So kind of what do you see the points? Is this story typical in, in your experience kind of from the your VC days and running the incubator days, uh, days? Do you see this idea that, okay, here's a, somebody who you know, their first venture might have done well, might have failed, but this creates these second opportunities, third opportunities. Do you see that this is a natural progression or is it just some people are kind of serial entrepreneurs and some people are one and done? And that's the end of the story.
0: Well, I I don't know if I can generalize uh, uh, about that. There are certainly lots of examples where, where folks start a business, it's successful or partially successful or maybe not successful at all. And from that, as you said, they meet people, they engage with people, uh, comes another opportunity, uh, and other people get into the entrepreneurial space, and and they might find, you know what, this is not for me, I, I I don't, this is not the pace that I want, it's not the lifestyle I want, it doesn't meet my, you know, Maslow's higher needs of hierarchy or whatever that stuff was, if I can remember back to to, to that in school, uh, and 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 they move on and they go try something else. But I bet you, even then, when they move on and try something else, that entrepreneurial experience uh, gave them a foundation that makes them good at the next thing they're going to do. So I'm I'm a firm believer in sort of a building upon experiences uh, and 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 developing it that way. So I mean, I just think that that's that's really key. Now on the funding side, I, I here here is an interesting kind of dilemma, right? There's some businesses that because of the business you're in requires lots of capital. It's going to, it's going to take you millions of dollars before you can introduce your very first product. Well, if you can self fund that, that's wonderful. Um, but oftentimes many people are not in a position where they can self fund that and they have to go raise capital of some sort. Now, the challenge with raising capital is it always has some constraints. Um, you're selling part of your business, more than likely, or even if you're just taking on debt, uh, it gives you some constraints. And so the beauty of being self-funded is that it gives you more options. It gives you more freedom of choice, freedom of action. Um, you, can, you can do pivots much easier. You can do all sorts of things uh, that when you have raised capital, you may have to get the okay to do certain things from, from your investors. Not that ne- that is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, having those investors sitting at your conference room table might be a good thing because they're bringing expertise to the table. They're helping you make the business successful. So there's plus and minuses to this, but it's important to understand what they are. And if you self-fund in the beginning, you can always get capital later on. So so that's another thing to remember, just because you so I'm a firm believer in sort of if you can self fund, you know, get that minimum viable product out there, get some customer feedback. And then if you need capital, go ahead and go after it. Uh, And that capital with some success under your belt, it'll be easier to raise that capital. It'll be on friendlier terms. Um, So that's sort of my thoughts on that, Mike.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I think that's a it's a really neat way to look at it. Um, so, yeah, we covered a lot of ground here. I mean, this is a really interesting startup. He's really trying to build uh, connections with customers in a digital way that matches up with kind of how we interact with companies now. He's doing this um, at a great time during COVID, right, where we know that this gap exists kind of at a, there's greater need for it. Um, great entrepreneurial story about being a, a serial entrepreneur and self-funding, Uh, We talked about cool things like, you know, really taking advantage of minimal viable products, MVPs, and um, it's just a neat story. And I hope he's really successful with this. And if not, I'm sure he'll learn from it and pivot and do something different because that's been this guy's history. So, uh, Bella, let's let's wrap it up, huh? I think, listeners, thanks for joining us today. We hope that uh, you found this episode interesting and thought-provoking. As always, if you have questions about what we've discussed or suggestions on people we should interview... Uh, Please get in touch with us. Our email is mike at gmail.com.
0: And please do follow the podcast if you haven't already. Just hit that follow button in your favorite podcasting application. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike.
1: Sounds great, Bela. And from over here in Münster, Germany, see you soon.